So we stand in this room today as we honor the word of the Lord. Do you take your Bibles and turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, our text today begins in verse 14. Hear the word of God. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And as the first covenant turned into the New Testament, as Malachi gave way to Matthew, the evangelist wrote of our Lord saying this in Matthew 1, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, verse 5, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Rahab begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. Verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Let us pray. Our good and our holy God, we stand in this room giving praise to you for our Redeemer. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of redemption and restoration. We thank you for a loving community of faith that we can live our life among and with and in. We thank you that you, God, are our King. And we pray today as we seek you afresh, we pray that you would reveal yourself afresh to us, that you would send your Holy Spirit, that the words would become a word for us, that we might glory anew in our Redeemer. Speak, Lord. Speak because your servants are listening. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. We say together, amen and amen. Please be seated. When I was a little boy and I was learning how to walk in traffic, my father and mother would tell me, look both ways. Did you have someone big tell you that when you were a kid? Look both ways. When you, when you approach uh, walking across the road, they say, just look both ways when you go. Uh, this is a lesson that is reinforced to me day by day as I sit in my office and I look out at a street that is very clearly marked a one-way street. Uh, for, for, for a couple years when I took up residence in that desk, it was a very quiet street. Very quiet street. It's a very quiet downtown area. Uh, and people would just sort of amble down that one-way street like it says in the book of Leviticus to do. 
but we have some new neighbors as of a couple years ago. And our friends Chip and Joanna Gaines bought the old silos that we wanted to buy one time to tear down because we thought they were an eyesore. Kid you not. I made the phone calls. Uh, but they established a, a tourist destination and for people far and wide now come and uh, they don't read road signs when they come to town. And, uh, and that quiet one-way street is now a street that goes both directions unintentionally. And so I sit at my desk and watch people barrel down the wrong way at least twice a day, every single day that I sit in that desk. And so now, going across that street, once again, it's a very much a look-both-ways situation because you can't count on the signs to work. You have to look one direction and another. Looking both ways is a skill we learned when we were learning the kind of skills that kept you living. And we still do it. Look both ways. Look both ways works for more things than just traffic, though. For us to be a people of hope, a people of faith, a people of genuine Christian love, we have to be people that learn to look both ways. People will tell you, seize the moment, live the day, maximize the present. And I'm with them on that. I think it's good. But if we're going to do it, if we're really going to suck the marrow out of life and live in the moment, we've got to also honor the past and have a Christ-like view of the future. We've got to be people that learn to look both ways, to look back and to look forward if we want to truly live in the, in the now. If we really want to live, we have to learn to look both ways. Because a vision of hope requires an understanding of hope, and hope has both a ground and an object. Because God is our hope. And God will work because God has promised to, and we can count on His promises to work because God has acted in the past. Wright said, G. Ernest Wright said, that history is the arena of God's activity. And because that's true, we have to learn to look both ways. Edmund Burke said, people will not look forward to posterity who never look backward to the ancestors. This section of Ruth is about ancestors and posterity. It's about looking back and looking forward. And the people who give voice to that multi-directional sense of life and hope and faith are the village women of Bethlehem. They are the ones who praise God. They are the ones who give the answers for why we should praise God. It's the village women of Bethlehem. Now, they're not named, and there's not a narrator chosen. They speak almost like a choir, but it's the ladies that speak, and it's the ladies that name, and it's the ladies that act. I want you to think about it like this. If I announced today that next week the sermon was going to be delivered by the women of Adult 5 Sunday School, and you said, which one? I said, all of them. I'm talking about Pat, Shelly, Tommy Lou, every one of them. They're getting the full 45 minutes <laughs> to do the sermon. <laughs> and they stood up here. And they gave a full-throated affirmation of life and hope. And they did it the only way a big pile of ladies could do it. <laughs> That's what you got in the book of Ruth. 
You've got the voice of the women of the village speaking out the words of life and hope, looking back, looking forward while talking to Naomi. And I am so grateful that their celebration of God and their instruction to Naomi was not just for Naomi, but that we can benefit from it too. Because we, like Naomi, have known what it's like to go from pleasant to bitter. We, like Naomi, know what it's like to need a redeemer, someone to fix what we cannot fix on our own. And this story is for her and it's for us. So for a few moments this morning, I just want to latch on to the voice of those ladies and listen again as they kindle hope and see the reasons that they give. See their understanding of the ground and the object of their hope. Because friends, we can have hope and we can hope because of the Lord. We can have hope and we can hope because the Lord, firstly, is a redeemer. Look at verse 14. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. This language of redeemer is used over and over and over and over again in the book of Ruth. It's it's about that system set up by God to make sure that those who are vulnerable and without power can have life and sustenance and a future and a hope because of mercy. And that act of redemption is an embodiment of the way God behaves toward a people in need, toward a people who need life and who can't produce it on their own. In Isaiah, God is called the Redeemer. And here in this story of Ruth, you have the example of redeemers who bring life to those in need, uh, prefiguring the redemption that we would have in Christ. Havilah Dharamraj says this, Whenever salvation through Christ's work is described using the analogy of redemption, it is time to tell the story of Boaz, the Redeemer. It is time to tell the story of Ruth. You see, in that system, there were, there were a couple of things that absolutely had to happen for you to qualify as a Redeemer. For you to be able to help someone who could not help themselves in this process of redemption, three things had to be true. The first thing is you had to be kin. You had to be of blood. And Boaz was of the blood. He was near. Therefore, he qualified as a redeemer. And when we speak of Christ, friends, we need to speak of one who is drawn near to us. One of the same blood. In Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, we read of Jesus that he was born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those born under the law. The first time I heard Nancy Griffith sing Julie Gold's song, From a Distance, I thought, what a beautiful song. The second time I heard the song, I thought, hmm, not so sure about it. You see, God doesn't love us from a distance it's not like God is William Shatner up in space for 11 minutes looking down going my is that pretty God loves us up close and God did not redeem us from afar he didn't phone it in or sub it out to have a redeemer you had to have one of blood one born of a woman and so Christ tabernacled among us 
down in the tears and the blood and the mud, God came. We can have hope. And we can hope because of this act in the past. Because it yet speaks. But that's not all. To be, a, to be a redeemer, you had to be kin, but you had to also be able. It wasn't enough to be family. You had to, have, you had to be family, and you had to be able to buy the land. You had to be able to pay the price. My whole life, I've, I've liked uh, speakers. I, I've enjoyed listening to people talk. Uh, I, I just have. I like stand-up comics. I like political stump speeches. I like sermons. I really do. When I'm up late at night and I can't sleep, you know, I, I go back between televangelist and C-SPAN. It doesn't matter to me. Jimmy Swaggart, Bernie Sanders, I don't care. I just want to hear people talk. I just want to, I just want to hear people talk. And one time I had the opportunity to hear Bill Clinton at a junior college in Mississippi. And I thought, if you can go hear Bubba at a junior college in Mississippi, you got to go. And, uh, and so I went to hear President Clinton. His opening speaker was, was John Grisham, the novelist. So Grisham comes out, and he does his warm-up talk, and it was pretty cool. And, uh, and then old Bubba comes out and says, thank you, John, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he said when he was elected president, uh, he got a letter from John Grisham, and they had determined that they were related to one another. And Clinton said, when I got elected president, half of Arkansas and more, most of North Mississippi were, really were truly my cousins. He's, he said, but, but Grisham was the only one with any money. <laughs> he, he said, so he's the only one I called back. <laughs> he said, so he was kin, but he was able. It's enough to be close, but to be close and not to be able to, to take care of the problem. Can't be a redeemer. But Jesus, he was close. And he had the resources necessary to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Listen to how Peter said it in 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Peter said he had the resources. And you weren't redeemed with throwaway things like precious gold and silver, but with the blood of Christ. He was blood. He was able. And we can look forward with hope because we can look back that the one who was near us was able to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And in our place stands the precious blood of the Lamb. And it even gets better than that. Because to be a redeemer, you had to be kin, you had to be blood, you had to be able, and you also had to be willing. Boaz says, I, I will not rest until this matter is settled. And he pursued the redemption of Naomi and Ruth. And Jesus was willing. Listen to how it, it's recorded in John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Verses 17 and 18. My father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. 
For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus says, willingly and in love, I lay down the precious treasure that will purchase the redemption of the world. We can hope because we have hope, and we have hope because the ground of hope is Jesus Christ the Redeemer. The women of the village sang, Blessed be God, because he did not leave you without a Redeemer. And we join their chorus today, Thanks be to God, he has not left us without a Redeemer. We can hope. Because we've got hope. Look both ways, friend. Backwards. So you can look forward. But this Redeemer is also our restorer. Listen to what they said in verse 15. He shall be unto you a restorer of thy life. That's that, that's that baby Redeemer, Obed. He will be a restorer. Same exact language from Psalm 23. He restores my life. So, you see, this is one of God's acts of grace is to take, is to take us, people created in his image, people created for his pleasure and purpose, people who were created to honor him and bless others, people who were created to be in healthy fellowships with each other and do meaningful and purposeful things, people created to be icons of God in the world who were touched by the smudgy fingers of their own sin the sin of the world, evil, and death. In conversion, in his grace, as he redeems us, as he brings us to himself, as, as he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, he also restores us. He restores our lives, our souls, back to the purpose for which we were made. Think about the great biblical characters like Paul He was running headlong far away from God, acting as a terrorist, met God, and God restored him. He didn't make a new Paul up. His personality didn't change. His past wasn't wasted. He took his life, all the parts of it, and he restored it for his glory. He restored it. Isn't it great that we have a restoring God This is why someone like Kierkegaard could say, now with God's help I shall become myself. If you're afraid that if you come to faith in Christ you're going to become some weird church lady, you might. Because that might be the trajectory that you're on, but quite likely what will happen is God will take you, your dreams, your passions, your desires, all that stuff that he put in you, and he'll shape you according to his glory and likeness and purpose and drive and ambition. He wants to restore us. And he's the restorer of the soul. And one day, one glorious day in God's good future, we will be completely restored. And we will be what he wants us to be in its fullness. And we'll know the ecstasy of his his presence. And we will be restored. We can hope for this. 
because he is the ground of our hope. And he is restoring even now. Look backwards. Look forwards. He restores our souls. And he will restore us fully and completely. Thanks be to God. This is the song of the ladies of Bethlehem. This is their common sermon. This is their message. Give thanks to God, the Redeemer. Give thanks to God, the Restorer. But that's not it. That's not all. It just keeps getting better and better. It just keeps getting better. Because they begin to thank God for the community life that they've been brought into. Verse 15b, the daughter-in-law which loves you is better to you than seven sons. You see, one of the great themes of Ruth is the interplay between divine initiative and human responsibility, between God's love and and human's love. And it's this powerful picture of, of how God works in people, for people, through people, for his purposes in the world. And one of the ways that God showed love to Naomi was through Ruth. One of the ways that God showed love to Naomi was through Boaz. You see, the love of God was concretized, as Peter McLeod used to say, concretized through those two people's lives. And if we're honest, and if we put our cynicism aside for just a moment, God is still concretizing his love in this world. He's still working through people's lives. How do I know it? I'm looking in the faces of a lot of people in this room that know what it's like to be used of the Lord. And if y'all don't believe it, I can just stand here and tell you how people in this room have been used of the Lord to bless my life. As we one another, one another. God's love is concretized in the earth. As beware, bear witness to our neighbors, God's love is concretized in the earth. As we serve our community, God's love is made real in this earth. We can hope because we have hope because God is the leader of a loving community. And as he redeems us, as he restores us, he invites us to be part of that community to concretize his love in this earth. That is the song of those women. As they sang of God, they sang of Ruth. They gave praise to God. They said, and Ruth loved you. And her love is better than seven sons. And their song is still being sung. It's still telling the truth of who God is and what he's doing. Of redeeming and restoring and loving through people. And finally, finally. We can hope because we have hope because God is the king. John Goldengay in his translation of Ruth in this section, he, he puts the little header there and the header is how David got his ancestors. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Nobody gets their ancestors. I love a little smart elekiness in biblical studies. How David got his ancestors. It's odd to me that David shows up at the end of this story. But he does. It's a story of ancestors and posterity. It's a story of looking back and looking forward. It's odd that the gospel of Jesus Christ begins with a whole bunch of bagats, 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 bagats. We're going to have a brand new covenant and it's going to sound like the boring parts of Leviticus right off the bat. 
What is God up to? God's always up to something. Jesus says, my father never slumbers. This is a great assumption you can make. God is always up to something. Always. And when you read those great sections, those genealogies, what they are is the anthem of a king. Ascending from the dust, descending from glory. Boaz, a descendant of Rahab. Yep, that one. Obed from Ruth. Solomon from Bathsheba. King Jesus from them all. When you look back and you look at the story of the ancestors, you see the story of sin and brokenness and frailty and redemption and forgiveness and restoration and hope. Born of a woman, up from the dust he comes. The only begotten of the Father. From the future. From the past. The ground of our hope. The object of our hope. We look back to look forward so that we can live the life that's actually life. Right here and right now. So friends, look back for a moment. Look back at your life. Look back at history. Do you see God acting in history? In Christ and before him. In that baby Obed, we have the seed of the Messiah that will come. God's always up to something. God's always up to something. And his up to somethingness is the reason for our hope. The reason we can count on his promise is because of his faithfulness. When you look back, do you see the finger of God? When you look back at your life, has this God who is the author and the pioneer of all, who made all. When you look back, has your life intersected with, with his story? Is the Redeemer your Redeemer is the restorer restoring your life is the leader of a loving community the leader of your life in loving community is he your king Jesus said the first seek ye first the kingdom of God is that your passion Is that your life? Today we're going to stand and we're going to sing. It's a hymn of confession and commitment. If you can't say with integrity and honesty today that Christ is your Redeemer, let me encourage you directly to make a step. It may be a step of inquiry. It may be a step of question. It may be a step of faith and commitment. But I encourage you to make a step. You can come to talk to me while we sing or you can... Talk to me while we're hanging around afterwards. But today, I encourage you to make a step. If God has been dealing in your life about being an active part of a loving community where the work of God is concretized and you think that's here among us,
I call you to take a step. Take a step. God has come to you. Will you respond in faith? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being who you are. We thank you for doing what you do. As we sing and commit, we pray that we would sense your spirit at work in our lives. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's sing.